0: You may be seated. To do so, I invite you to join me in taking your copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to our passage, which is Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. To Galatians chapter 4, six verses 6 and 7. So as you have been joining us, you know that for this Advent season, our sermon series is exploring uh, the question of why Christmas. Uh, to give us this occasion to to dig deeper into the meaning of Christmas. And so we started a couple Sundays ago by looking at 1 Timothy 1.15 and that Paul's telling Timothy and therefore telling us that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So why Christmas? It was for salvation. But then Paul goes on to say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And Paul was talking about himself at that time. And so it's this view of salvation a proper view of salvation of of how bad of sinners we are. It's easy for us to compare ourselves to others and go, those are really bad people. But when we stand in front of the standards of God himself and of his law, we are all the chief of sinners. We are all the foremost of sinners. And Christ Jesus came to save even horrible sinners like us. And then last Sunday, Thomas looked... At Jesus identifying himself with his people. In the kind of archaic language of theologians, uh, one of the blessings of this is what is called the humiliation of Christ. And What that means is that the second person of the Trinity would choose to identify with his people in such a gracious and eternal way for salvation. That we are so loved that the second person of the Godhead would come from heaven to earth. To live in the midst of, of this sinful, broken, fallen world. To do everything that needs to be done for our salvation. So why Christmas? So that Jesus could identify with us as our Messiah and as our Savior in such a perfect, eternal way. And so that brings us this morning to our passage in Galatians 4, verses 6 through 7. Let me pray for us and then we will come together before God's word. Well, let's pray. Lord, we come to you in prayer because we want your blessings on this time. If we were to come in the arrogance of our own strength and power, this would be a waste of time. We would be better off sitting at home looking at nothing and doing nothing. But you promise to be at work in your people through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. So we come in prayer for that this morning. Lord, I am merely a messenger. May you use me for your message this morning. And these are your people. This is the flock of Bethel ARP. May your sheep hear your voice and follow after you. And if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you by faith, Lord, we pray that you would use your word and this message to break their hearts of their sins to long to know you as Lord and Savior, to follow after you as their eternal shepherd. Lord, do these things, we pray, because you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor that comes through this sort of work. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7. Let's stand together now for the reading of God's word. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. When we ask the question, "Why Christmas?" there's a sense that part of that question of what does Christmas mean. And we probably often think of that in, what does Christmas mean to us? What, what, what does Christmas mean to us? And I think in us thinking through that and trying to answer that, at some point in our answer, we come to think about family. Christmas is in many ways synonymous with family. When we think about what Christmas means to us, we, we, we probably think about having our, our family together on Christmas Day. We see some of our college students who are, who are home. Families want them home, at least for a couple weeks before they get tired of them and send them back off to college. But Christmas is salamus with, with, with family. And so you think about on, on Christmas Day, you you want to be with your family. You think about your family gathered around the Christmas tree and opening up presents and enjoying that time of a, the family gathering around the dinner table and enjoying the, the Christmas Day feasts. Of hearing from extended family and visits from them and cards from them. We, we When we think about Christmas, we probably think about family because Christmas is synonymous with family. For those of us who are a certain age, we probably remember that famous Christmas Soldiers commercial when Peter comes home for Christmas. And y'all remember this? He comes in the front door, don't know if he had a key or not, the door's unlocked. But anyways, he makes his way in and and the family starts coming downstairs and they're all excited because Peter is home for Christmas. Very much implied in that is that Christmas is now complete because the family is together. And Christmas was made better because as the family is together, they're all drinking freshly brewed Folgers coffee. It just couldn't be a better Christmas morning than that, right? And that theme still continues on in our society. That's still, Christmas is still very much a family-oriented holiday in our society. Our middle child, Hannah, likes to put on her bathrobe every evening and climb into our bed with a bowl of popcorn and watch the Hallmark Christmas movies. I don't really watch them with her. I have other things to do with my time, but as I come in and out of the room, I've kind of picked up, I believe, on what's pretty much all the plots of those movies Some main character has moved off to the big city and has adopted big city ways. And for whatever reason, they now have to come back to their small hometown. And as they come back with their big city ways to their small hometown, their high school love is now running a Christmas tree farm or a coffee shop or a bookstore, right? And they run across... candles, Candles. And it's something, they're doing something, and they come across each other, and somewhere in the midst of this, the big city person repents of their big city ways and falls back in love with their small-town high school love. And what do they end up doing? They end up settling down and starting a family. Pretty much every hallmark Christmas movie that I've seen ends up with them ending with somehow starting a family. It's all around us, Family is very much a part of the thread of Christmas. For many of us, that's part of joy and happiness of the season. I think that's why we also need to be sensitive because there are those who grieve in the season. This may be their first Christmas without a loved one. They are reminded that this is another Christmas without that loved one. So part of that thread of Christmas has unraveled for them, so the season can be hard. So it's good for us to remember that in the midst of the, the joy and happiness of, of Christmas, there can also be a deep grief there as well because Christmas is in many ways synonymous with family. Now, that's not true because we make it true, because we declare it to be true. It's true because that is the essence of the biblical Christmas story. When we think about the Christmas story, as we know from the Bible, it's the story of a family, isn't it? It's the story of a father and a mother, of Joseph and Mary, having their first child. That's the essence of the Christmas story, isn't it? Now, we, we know there's more to that Christmas story. There's more to that family story. There's the miracle of the Incarnation. There's the circumstances of the birth. There's the angels and the shepherds and the winesmen. But the story of the first Christmas is the story of a family. The story of a Christian family. Because who is Mary? Mary is the obedient Christian girl, and we find her there in in, in in the manger in Bethlehem, and she's holding her newborn son, and she's falling in love with him as only a, uh, uh, falling in love with him as only a mother can. And there's Joseph at her side, and he's taking it all in as the as the nervous first time father. He's looking; this is his family. These are the ones he's now responsible for. And Joseph also being faithful, we can imagine he is offering up praises to God that his wife is safe and he has a healthy baby son. The story of Christmas is the story of a family. Every nativity scene depicts the family. Every Christmas pageant you go to depicts the scene of a family. Because Christmas is synonymous with family. And we see that picked up in our passage this morning. Where when Paul, when he asks the question of why Christmas, he comes up with this theme for adoption. For God's people to be adopted into the family of God. So if we take this time and occasion to think uh, more deeply about the meaning of Christmas, about why Jesus came, why Jesus came, we find that part of that meaning is for us, that, so that you and I could be adopted into the family of God. And that when we look at Nativity scene, we we see the baby in the manger. We're reminded that He came with the mission to make His to make us into His siblings for an eternity. And that's the theme that Paul is exploring here in our passage from Galatians. Let me back up with us, back up with me to verses 4 and 5 here in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Later on, Peter is writing and he says, look, I know Paul is out there writing, he's writing the scripture, and I know sometimes it's difficult because Paul's a deep thinker. You read through his epistles, you find Paul is a deep thinker. and You keep reading through them. It doesn't matter how many times you read through Galatians, Ephesians, Romans, 1st, uh, 2nd Corinthians, so on and so forth. There's always something else there. Paul is a deep thinker. And think about what Paul is teaching us here in this deep thinking way. He's like John. He takes the Christmas story and he goes back to an eternity previous John begins it by saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But, but Paul goes back and he, he goes back to when the, the, the triune God made a covenant of redemption within himself. So before time even began, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made this covenant that they would save his people from their sins. And part of that covenant would be sending forth Jesus Christ. And so when the prescribed time had come, So the date circled on the calendar in the throne room of heaven, on that date, the Father sent the Son to fulfill this covenant. And so, according to this passage, part of that covenant of redemption and in the covenant of grace is that the Father sent the Son to be our salvation so that in that salvation, you and I may be adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. So when, when Paul thinks of the Christmas story like John, he goes so deep and he goes so far back and so when he looks at Christmas he sees that Christmas is not just about salvation it's not just about identification but it's about adoption that that little baby who came to save sinners also came so that we could be adopted into the family of God and so that's part of the story of being a Christian It's not just being saved, but we also become a child of God. The Christmas story is about you and I becoming a son or daughter of the living God. Not just the story of our salvation, but it's also the story of our adoption. I love seeing the social media posts and and articles and newspaper of a family gathered in a courtroom. And it's on the occasion that they have legally adopted this child. And so you'll see the, the family standing there and they're standing there with the adopted child. And sometimes they have the picture with the judge as well. But it's just this wonderful picture of this family who has gone out, who has adopted this child into their family. And, and so now this child has all the rights and privileges of being in that family. They have gone from being strangers to now, in a sense, being blood. They have gone from being outside the family to now being a part of that family. And I I love seeing those stories and those posts, because that's also part of the meaning of Christmas. Christmas tells us that Jesus came so that we could be adopted into the family of God. And this is more than just a, a stamp on a legal document. It is an eternal truth. So, so, part of the wonder of, of the story of our salvation is that the moment when we receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he's been offering the gospels, then we are also adopted as a child of God. And that moment of, of that moment of faith, at that moment of, of surrendering to Jesus will call forth the Spirit of God, who's also known as the Spirit of Adoption. So and the economy of, of God's work of salvation is simply this. Jesus made adoption possible. He did all the work needed to be done, all the legwork that needed to be done for adoption. And the Spirit is the one who applies it to us. Jesus has done it. And through faith in who He is, then the Spirit applies it to us. So when we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we're also meant to to, to think along the way of his ministry of adoption that because of the Holy Spirit, he takes the work of Jesus Christ and he applies it to us through our faith in Jesus so that we are now a child of the living God. So that through his ministry, we know this eternal truth that the love of the Father for the Son is extended to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And it just takes a quick reading of Scripture to see how much the Father loves the Son. And to know that as Christians, He loves us as much as He loves His own Son. And we are granted ex- access and, and to, the, to the life and the love, the unity and the glory of the Triune Godhead to the extent that we, that such things is possible for us as finite creatures. And it's interesting as Jesus is preparing for the cross, he prays the high priestly prayer. And part of that prayer, he alludes to the truth of adoption. We pray this truth every Sunday. When we come to the prayer, when Jesus' disciples come to Jesus and they say, John the Baptist has taught his disciples how to pray. Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, absolutely. And what's the first thing he teaches them? Adoption. Our Father. Not our, our, our faraway God, not, not some other application. In the prayer, how Jesus has taught Himself, how He Himself has taught us to pray is our Father. That's why we find in Scripture that the, that the Father gives us the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of adoption. Jesus was born. So that through the Holy Spirit we could share in that eternal relationship of the triumph. God. He was born so that we could participate in all the honor and happiness and privileges that are his as the beloved son of God the Father. The, the writer of Hebrews explains that the father sent his son so that the son could be the head of a large household. That the head of a family are a band of brothers. So adoption, in this sense, is more than just a legal rubber stamp. It's the most intimate and loving union communion. that is nothing less than what's between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are adopted to that communion. We have been brought in the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So why Christmas? So you and I, who are once strangers and aliens, who are once enemies of living God, can now be adopted to his family with all the privileges that come with being His children. One of those privileges, one of those blessings that comes from adoption, is that we are now enabled to become more and more like Jesus, that we start to take on the family resemblance. When Beth and I moved to Georgia to serve at the White Oak Church, there one of the first couples we met was a couple named John and Marana. As a matter of fact, this, this Sunday I had to preach uh, my interview sermon, however you want to put it, uh, they were baptizing uh, their first child. So that's a little intimidating when you're interviewing with a church and they're at you know one of the members is having their children baptized. But there, a couple around our age. And we spent a lot of time with them. They had us over at least for a couple of Thanksgivings. And so we really enjoyed getting to know them. And especially Miranda, we got to know her family pretty well. And over time, we realized that Miranda and her mother were some of the sweetest, most wonderful women you could ever meet. Just you, just when you meet them, you love them. And so one day, as we were talking to Miranda, we, we said, you know, we've enjoyed getting to know you and your mom. And you're you're so much like her. You look like her. You act like her. It's like y'all are twins. And Miranda just beamed, and she said, "Thank you. That means a lot because I'm adopted." Now, you could have knocked me over the feather at that point because there's been there's not too many other women, mothers and daughters who who were so almost like twins in their personalities and even ha- even looking like each other. Yeah, that's Miranda's story. Her parents did they didn't think they'd be able to have children. And so they start the adoption process and they get Miranda. And then usually you find that story, they do end up having like other children. But Miranda was their adopted child and was the twin of her adopted mother. And she lived in this family where the parents loved her so, she took on that family resemblance. And that's the story of our adoption as well. When we are adopted into the family of God, it means that we are becoming more like Jesus. Going back to Jesus' high priestly prayer, when he prays, Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. That is a prayer that we would become more like Jesus. Sanctification is us dying more and more to our sins and living more and more to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So as he is preparing for the cross, he prays for all of his people. Lord, put in them the spirit of adoption and help them take on the family resemblance of, of, of their Lord and Savior. And that's what we Paul, that's what we find Paul saying, that we are to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. That fruit of spirit is the same fruit of the Spirit that lives in Jesus, the same spirit that resides in us is the same spirit that resided in Jesus. So that same fruit of spirit that we are to grow in is the fruit that was perfect in Jesus Christ. And so we are to be growing in that fruit of spirit because as we grow in that fruit, we are growing to be more like Jesus. Peter says at the end of his letter, we are to grow more and more in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we think about why Christmas and adoption, this is the end result of it. Not just that we are brought into the family of God, but that we begin to become more and more spiritual like Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our elder brother. The story of Christmas is a story of growth and change. That when we know the Christ child through faith, and the spirit of adoption then has been given to us, We repent of our sins and we turn more and more to Jesus. So this isn't an adoption about just gaining the status of being in the family of God. It's about becoming more like the one who so loved you that he sent his only begotten son. The one who so loved you that he came to die for your sins. The one who so loves you, he now resides in you to always point you to Jesus Christ. So we think about the meaning of Christmas. When you think about it, it means an adoption that changes us from the inside out for an eternity. It was 24 and a half years ago uh, that the Lord broke me. And I got on my knees to repent. I was a nominal Christian. I was baptized at the age of 10. For years, I thought I was baptized on Halloween. Because that would make for a great story, doesn't it? And then I got my baptism certificate. It was the week before. So, anyways, I was baptized Shaw Heights Baptist Church as a 10 year old. It, it, it meant nothing except that everybody else was doing it. But when I was 15, September of my sophomore year in high school, I prayed. I didn't want to go to hell. And so I prayed that Jesus would save me. And I believe he did. I believe that's when my salvation began. But I quickly began to live as if I just wanted Jesus as my Savior, not as my Lord. I didn't want to go to hell, but I didn't want to live for Jesus. I, didn't, I wanted the privileges of not going to hell, but I wanted to live as if I did want to go to hell. And so the older I've gotten in the past 24 and a half years, the more I look back on that and realize what Lord used to, to break my heart is the doctrine of adoption. I didn't realize it then. It's taken me some time to realize what it is. But it was, Jesus, it was God bringing me to the point of realizing that I bore more resemblance to Satan than to Jesus. And when you're a professing Christian, that's a horrible place to be, isn't it? To realize you live your life more for Satan than you do for Jesus. So that's why you often hear me come back to the truth of change. Because that's the truth that I had to come to realization of. That Christians are a changed people. We are a changed people because of Christmas. Because that child who was born was born not only to save us from our sins, but for us to be adopted into God's family. And that adoption means that I stopped, because, I stopped living as, as just for James McManus. I'm now James McManus, a Christian. I'm now living for Jesus Christ. If you, if you, if you care about this, this is one of my pastoral concerns for us as a church. As I look around at us every Sunday morning, I I look at a, a, a group of people who have either been raised in the church or around the church. So we know the answers. We know what to say and what not to say. We know who we can do what around and who we can't do what around. And I think as it's easy for us then, in that sort of situation, for, just, for us to just wear the mask of Christianity. A mask that's easy to put on and take off at our own convenience. But Christianity isn't wearing a mask. It's being changed. We don't want to be the sort of people who, we just want Jesus to save us from hell, but we sure we're sure as heck going to live like we want to be in hell, don't we? We're no more for our sins and living for Satan than we are for Jesus. So, my pastoral concern is how many of us have been adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Not playing the part, but truly adopted. When we die, I'm sure we all want to hear Jesus say to us, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." We don't want to hear, "Be away from me! I never knew you." We want to hear, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." What's that statement mean? Well, grammatically, it means something has been done well. But Jesus doesn't say, "Well, well said, well acted, well portrayed." Well done, it's an action, but what's the action? The action is implied in my good and faithful servant. You have done well because you have done well as my good and faithful servants. It's a statement of action, it's a statement of doing something, it's a statement of doing something well, that we have followed Jesus well, but there's something else at play here. He says, well done, my good and faithful servants. When Jesus says servant, he doesn't mean it in a slavish sense. We're not thinking of roots and kutakente. He means this in a gospel sense, which means a family sense. Not only is Jesus the master and we are the servants, but as Thomas said to the children earlier, the master is also our elder brother. And by serving our master, we are serving our elder brother, that we are therefore serving the Father through the power of the Spirit. So that statement we want to hear Jesus say to us, Well done, my good and faithful servant, is a statement of family resemblance. Who is it that gets into heaven? Faith that is seen in a family resemblance. That when we stand at the gate of heaven, when we stand before the throne of God, the father sees himself in us. The elder brother sees himself in us. The spirit, the teacher, the comforter sees himself in us. Heaven is not open to strangers. It's open to the children of God who bear spiritual resemblance to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I think the question is obvious for us this morning. Do you look like Jesus? Not physically, because none of us are Middle Eastern. But spiritually. Do you look like Jesus? Are you growing in faith? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? are you growing to resemble your older brother, Jesus Christ? If we were, was it Snow White who had the mirror on the wall? My children have grown out Disney into Hallmark Christmas movies now, so I, I forget. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who do I resemble most of all? Would it be Jesus or would it be Satan. That's a hard truth. That's not my truth. It's the truth of Scripture. Christians are meant to always be looking more like Jesus. It may be in spurts and fits. It often looks like a roller coaster. A lot of ups and downs, twists and turns. But it's always going in the direction of Jesus. So as we think about Christmas, why Christmas, we're left to answer, are we growing to be more like the one we are celebrating? But that question leaves us hanging because it doesn't give us the how. How do we grow to be more like Jesus? Well, this is where we're tempted to say, well, I've got to do more. I've got to get up earlier tomorrow morning. I need to get up earlier so I can read my Bible and pray. I need to make sure I'm in church more often. I need to watch my cussing and my drinking and what I'm looking at. Right? It's all these things I've got to do. What can I do? But that's the wrong answer because that's legalism. The minute we try to begin to solve our spiritual problems with ourselves, that's legalism. It's about what I can do. And that brings us to the wonderful paradox of the gospel. It's not about what you can do, it's about what Jesus has done for you. That's the gospel. The gospel is a completed action. It's what Jesus has done for you. We we sing it, that Jesus has paid it all. And that all is all. Jesus has paid it all. He has done it all for you. So the wonderful paradox of the gospel is simply, you cannot grow yourself. You cannot exercise enough. You cannot diet enough. You you cannot take enough spiritual pills and protein powder to make yourself grow. The only way we grow in Jesus Christ is by resting in Jesus Christ. That's the paradox of our faith. It's only when we receive Jesus Christ and rest in Him that we, can, can, that we will be able to grow. Because by receiving Jesus and resting, him, resting in Him, then we are given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who points us in that direction. And He says, because you love Jesus and because you want to be more like Him, then by the power of the Spirit of Christ, we will head in this direction. It is my goal To be a good husband to Beth. And a good father to Maggie, Hannah, and Patrick. And to be a good pastor to y'all. And that's not my goal because of fear. That's not my goal so that this time of year y'all don't come to me and say, we wrote you out of the budget. Good luck. Merry Christmas. That's my goal for my my marriage, for my family, for y'all, because of love. And that's the truth of the gospel. Because God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. And when you rest in that truth, then that spirit of adoption is given to you and that spirit points you in the direction and says, the one who you love because he first loved you, this is how you grow in him. So this Advent season, we're just a couple weeks away from Christmas. I want to encourage you to think about who it is you spiritually resemble. If you look looking at that spiritual mirror on the wall, is it Jesus or Satan? And for you to rest in who Jesus is and what he has done for you. So in that resting, the spirit will continue to point you, like, to, point you to Jesus and you will grow to look more and more like the one who so loved you that he adopted you into his family. Let's pray.